Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Right now, Phoebes. Nope. Seven voicemails? Hey, Joni, it's me, Phoebe. I actually was gonna call you about something else, but I just listened to your voicemail and I feel like it, there's not enough swag. Like, there's not enough, like, flow and energy. It's just very, like, Joanna's all there over it And it's like, that's okay. boring. Nope. Hey, JoJo. So I'm watching Felicity, like, of course I am. And she's always just wearing like a tank top. Skip. Joni, bitch. What up, bitch? Ooh, that rhymed. That's it. <laughs> I just want to see if I can rhyme. Okay, talk to you later. Wait, just kidding. Also, do you remember that time when you said you don't know who Petey Pablo is and it's like, LOL, like, are you from America? I just want you to rethink that because... Sorry. Sorry. <gasps> what happened i know it's four in the morning so you're probably sleeping but oh my god i just had hey, Jojo. the craziest trick i know you're in a hurry so am i johnny mitch baby robinson reject this hug. i gotta reject the hug because i sent you a bunch of voicemails last night did you listen to them of course i did that was horrible acting. What? Meryl Streep, you ain't, bitch. What? Get into the You're studio. more like Cheryl Streep. Oh! Where is she going? Welcome to Def Comedy Jam, motherfuckers! That is literally the fastest I've ever seen you go into the studio. I can't hear you. literally the fastest I've ever seen you go into the studio. And it was only to give me like a sick burn. <laughs> hey boo-boos, what up? It's so many white guys. How many? So much whiteness. I'm black and my name is Phoebe Robinson. This is so fun and it's for fun. Jojo, tell me how much you love your job. I mean, I'm the white Robin Quivers. That's great. That was like the job description when I put it on Monster. <laughs> but like, what specifically do you like about working for moi? Okay, well, Phoebe, mm-hmm. you crack me up. Ofs. You send me shocked Mad Men updates about some of the most pivotal plot points in the middle of the night. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm like, I know she's asleep, but I have to text someone. <laughs> we have fun. We drink rosé. Rosé. It's more than a drink. It's a lifestyle. I get I get health insurance for doing that. <laughs> uh, we got to talk about your health insurance. Um, just that's a side note for later. So what was your worst job, Joni Mitch? I'm trying to think. I, you know, to be honest, I haven't had a lot of like worst jobs, but I can tell you about my weirdest job. Ooh. 
That didn't even sound like you. I've never heard you make that noise before. Well, I had applesauce in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want it to. I didn't want you to know I was eating. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good job. Um, so my weirdest job. It was actually sort of my best job that I ever had. But um, for two summers, I was a Segway tour guide in Minneapolis. <laughs> want to make you guess what it's called what the segway was yeah called? what the segway tour was called oh it was called the magical history tour i don't get it like the magical mystery tour with the beatles oh that was an album right yes got it i know some of their songs older, <laughs> older white people think that pun is hilarious <laughs> let me tell you my job was just to like get on get up really put on my bright yellow t-shirt, put on my bike helmet that had my name written on the front, and oh then just God. give these guided tours on the Mississippi River about Minnesota's booming flower industry. That's literally so cute. Also, what is it like to be on a sex? Because I've never been. You feel like the sun on your face and a gentle breeze because it goes up to 13 miles an hour. And... <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand, like... Why you can't just be in a, 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 a bus and do it? I think the real reason people want to do it is because it's the closest you'll ever come to feeling like a robot. Oh, uh, arigato. You know what I mean? You just feel like a little, you're like, So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. So many white guys. So many white guys. Hey y'all. Get ready for the best thing ever. My guest today is the Hassan Minaj. He's got a long list of things that make him an amazing human being. You know him from his work as senior correspondent on The Daily Show. For more reaction to Donald Trump's Muslim policy, we go to senior political correspondent Hassan Minaj, everybody. He's currently on a 32-city tour with his one-man show, Homecoming King, and he has hair like a Disney prince. But most importantly, he is a dear, delightful human being, and you guys are going to love this interview. So snuggle up with your boo thing. Imagine that you're on a beach with Oprah and Gail, and listen to this damn episode. is going to make you feel that good, y'all. Okay, guys, but Joanna stepped out to get a smoothie because she's bougie. She's all about her kale and her carrots and her cukes, says cucumbers, and her fucking fennels. No one cares about your goddamn fennels. Anyway, we have to, to pause for a word from our sponsors, and then uh, we'll be back. So sit tight, bitches. <laughs> Hey, boo 
Rose. Welcome back. Let's get to it. Gotta get to it. What is it? It's my dope-ass convo about comedy, race, and what it's like to be married at 30. OMG, you guys. That is so young. Anyway, I'm having this great conversation with one of the best guys in the biz, Hassan Manaj. It's been good. It's been this has been an, a, a nice year. I feel like you're having an amazing year. It's been good. This is just all around. It's a good year. It's a it's a good year for brown brown people. Yeah, like but the country's mad terrifying. Are we recording? What's going on? Yeah, we're always recording. We just like we just ease into it. Oh, we it. roll into it. Yeah, we roll into it. I I I, I take care of you, homeboy. It's Damn. Good. Yeah, it's just it's smooth. Um. Yeah. It's a good. It's it's like I don't know. It's a good year for brown, but it's also like country's mad divided. Is it? Yeah. Doesn't it feel super polarized? I don't know what's going on. Like when I was at the RNC, <laughs> I was like, I'm at Racist Comic Con. Which was upsetting because it was in Cleveland, which is where yeah. I'm from. Cleveland is dope. Cleveland's amazing, we right? We were saying in Ohio City, the people were fantastic. They're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Like there was great restaurants and the people were awesome and the bars were – everything was great. And then like – um Every day for the week, like the Death Eaters met at Quicken Loans Arena, <laughs> and it was like yeah. crazy. Is that your first? That was your first RNC. Right? That was my first RNC ever. Okay, so what were you expecting to get, and then what did you actually get by being there? Um, so yeah, I was expecting. This is going to sound crazy, but I expected it to be a lot worse. Okay, but believe it or not, like the open bigots were just like only like ten percent of the population, which out of like fifteen thousand is. That's pretty good. Still a good chunk. Yeah. But then there's like 90% of people that are just like ignorant. And that's what made me like really sad. Like they just haven't thought about things outside of their own like personal experiences or narratives. So like they'll be like wearing like an All Lives Matter pin. Mm. And then you're like, all right, let's like, let's talk about this. You know, I was like, oh, like you're like a nice person, but you're just like ignorant. And yes. that's like that's like I think the big issue is like because you can legislate bigotry. You can be like this is illegal. Mm-hmm. You cannot do this, right? Like, but you can't legislate stupidity. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, how do you write that into law? Like, yeah, yeah. And it's also just um, it's like where you get your news. Like, even like my brother is like he is like w- like watches C-SPAN. Like he has it on at his house all the time. Like he just he loves it. Really, he he's a very he's very into politics. He like reads all the biographies and he like uh-huh. keeps abreast of like international news and everything. And I'm like not yeah like that. Yeah, it just feels so confusing. Yeah, um, and it I, also feels like super like far away. You know, I've yeah. thought about this like a lot because like um, I like I'm Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of like my Muslim friends are just like, man, when really horrible tragedies happen in Muslim countries. Like in Baghdad or Syria or whatever, like they're like nobody outside of our community shows like solidarity via social media and stuff like that. And I was recently we were on break and me and my wife we went to Paris, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, whenever like an attack happens to like a European country or whatever, people are like, oh my god, we need to pray for Paris, we need to pray for Belgium, we need to pray for whatever. And I was like, man, that that really sucks because I can see where they're they're coming from, especially people in the United States where they're like. I had great memories in Paris. Mm-hmm. Like me and my girl went there. We put a little like lock on a fence bridge thing. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? Like we have associated memories there. Um, it's like a par- part of like popular culture here to be like 
Paris, Europe. It's like romanticized. Mm-hmm. But then like just recently Turkey had like a big military coup, right? It was awful. Um, but a lot of people don't know here in America don't know how dope Turkey is as a country. Like they don't know like it's it's ju- like Istanbul is just as beautiful as like Europe. They have like this great European, Spanish, all these like influences. Yeah. That's like all mixed into one. Super dope. Like you can take uh you can go to Cappadocia and there's like mountains and you can get your like hot air balloon on within the mountains. It oh, looks wow. super like Hogwartsy. Yeah, like you could yeah. definitely <laughs> definitely blow up the gram. Yeah. And if more people knew like how beautiful and amazing those places were, man, I think that that connecting, that connection to be like, oh, I see humanity in that movement as well. I see myself there as well. Right. That bridge would be uh, a little, that bridge would be a little bit closer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I also feel I, I do agree with that. But I also feel like, you know, I feel like Jamaica is a hotspot destination. And I feel like no one here really cares. Oh, no one cares really about any of the like, quote unquote, bad things that happen there. It's just I like, get what can you're I go saying. on vacays or like an all inclusive resort? Like it's oh. a very. You know, I think... No, that's... I, I see that, too. You know, yeah. it's not even, like, racially. I think it's also just, like, as Americans, we have a tendency to just kind of carve out what we want to pay attention to and yeah, what we don't want to. You saying. know what I mean? Word. So you were, you were just on vacation with your, your wife. Wife, yeah. I, I, I love you guys. I follow you guys on the gram. I like all your yeah. wedding pics. It's really cute. Thanks. Um, and you recently won an award from the Muslim Public Affairs Council, which is amazing. Thank you. Um, and in your acceptance speech, you said, like, the best award is that you convinced your wife to marry you. Um, and so how did you pull off getting... Because to me, you seem – you're very smart. You're very handsome. You're very driven. Uh-huh. I've been to your one-man show, so I know you care a lot about family. So to me, I'm like, yeah, you're a catch. Uh-huh. Obviously, she would want to marry you. Well, my wife is like – she's dope. And yeah. I met her in college. And I was – I like – this is going to be – it's really nerdy. But we were in the same dorm together. I was on the the third floor, which is like the quiet floor, mm-hmm. and then she was on like the first floor, which is like the more like party floor. The third floor was called the quiet floor, like the quiet program where it's like after eleven you can't play loud music or whatever. It was for nerds because I was like, <laughs> look, I'm gonna live in the dorms, but I gotta focus, man. Wait, um, where did you guys go to? UC college? Davis, okay. yeah. And then um, I'm seeing her in like the dining commons, and she had this like I think I told you in just this, but she wore she wore like the overalls with like the shirt and the Aaliyah bandana. And, you didn't tell me that. Oh, That's amazing. She had this like she had like Aaliyah swag. You know how like now like nineties puffy bad boy mm-hmm. style is like popular now? Yeah. She was doing it then. And I like saw her, I was like, yo, who is this dope Aww. brown girl? Like yeah. her swag was like so different from everybody else's and she was like super cool. But I was too shy to talk to her. She she had seen me around too. Aww. Um and then she was dating somebody else at the time. And so, like, I had to, like, lay back in the cut. I was dating somebody else at the time. So we were, we were both, like, it was just, like, the oh wrong time. Gosh. But, like, we both really, like. This sounds very, like, intense. Yeah. And I so love the, it. At the end of, like, our sophomore year, we got together. Um, and then, yeah, like, she just was, like, like, people, like, she's everything that I kind of, like, struggled to sort of be. And getting her to marry me was, like, that was, like, one of my biggest life accomplishments. That oh my god, that's so touching. I like want to cry. <laughs> For real? <laughs> yeah, that's like so sweet, especially just because you know, even though it's like 2016, it's not particularly encouraged for men to be that very just vulnerable 
yeah. even when talking about their wives. You know what I mean? And just I don't know. I don't like the narrative. Like, there's always this narrative with like maybe I don't know if it's like a social media thing or it's just mm-hmm. like a part of just like misogyny that's existed since the beginning of time of like basically like monogamy and sacrifice is whack. Right. Like it's considered to be whack. We live in 2016. Like it's a lot more fluid. And I think that's great. I Mm -hmm. think that that's awesome. But I think there's certain things that are like timeless, like sacrifice and love and being considerate and chivalrous and respectful to your lady or your wife. I think that should exist regardless of what time we live in. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. All the women listening to this are just going to be like flooded. Call FEMA. Okay, 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 okay. So you also said in your speech that you were lucky that your wife didn't dump you for a doctor or someone else. I also, I want to thank my wife, Bina. Uh, Bina is a a, a ride-or-die person. I've known her since college. There's a lot of couples that are like, when did you guys meet? And it's like, I met when he was a cardiologist. Like, oh, good job. When the bank account was just right, it worked out. Like, you had my back when I didn't have anything, and and you've always taught me Um, That life is so much more than just IMDb credits, and you taught me to be a good person. Aw, Hassan, what made you say that? Okay, this is a problem that I've had, that I've, like, openly spoken, like, publicly about, I think, within immigrant communities and within the South Asian community. The way the marriage game is played is like, hey, stack your credentials, get your education and job on, and then play the market. And Mm. basically play the market to get what you deserve. It's like you're a free agent in the NBA. You're like Steph Curry, basically. Yeah, yeah but yeah, it's yeah. like, whoa, wait, wait. The commodity we're talking about, it's like love. Like, yeah. that's really whack to me. But I also understand it. There is also this element that makes sense of, no, it's about compatibility as well as love. Mm-hmm. If you're a super driven cardiologist or investment banker, or whatever your career is, engineer, biomedical engineer, whatever, like, are you going to be compatible with, say, like, a spoken word artist, Mm -hmm. per se? You may not be. So they really try to, like, parents in the community, they try to push you towards, like, hey, this would probably be the best choice for you. And I give her a lot of credit. She broke a lot of barriers in terms of culturally and, you know, like religiously and all these different things. You know, my family's from Aligar, her family's from Gujarat, like to be like, no, I want to be with this person who has this radically different religion, radically different career because I really like believe in them and I love them. And I just thought that was really dope for both of us to look past our own tribalism Um, that's rampant in our communities to be like, no, there's something bigger that unites us. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I know I know the type of pressure that a lot of South Asian girls go through. I didn't even know that that was. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a big thing. And the the fight that's happening between the the parents and the kids, Mm -hmm. it's it's grounded in legitimate concern. But it's also grounded in this fear from the past. Yeah. And I feel like every minority community faces this, that. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, racism and bigotry we face from, like, outside, mm-hmm. right? But even within, like, the black community, the Latino community, the Muslim community, the South Asian community, there's self-tribalism through, right. through like, skin color, through, um, they like, in India, they have the caste system. Mm-hmm. You, you know, all of the re- religion, like, there's division. Yes, absolutely. 
that's outside of external pressure. Like we do yeah. that to ourselves. But and that's do you think that that is a reaction to the the outside? Because like I don't think colorism within the black community would be an issue if it wasn't originated outside. Oh, do you know what I mean? Because I yeah. don't think. I mean, just specifically speaking about America, we're all like, oh, paper bag test. Like, we didn't create it, but now we're coming up through that, and I think we end up kind of reinforcing it within our own communities ourselves. Yeah, interesting. So, like, I feel like, so there tends to be, like, we internalize those things that are from the outside, and then we go, well, this is how we should behave, or this is, like, what we want now Mm -hmm. to get further ahead or yeah yeah. i really get what you're saying like for example like the conflict between india and pakistan Mm -hmm. that that byproduct of partition yes that is like a direct byproduct of colonialism the british coming over ruling india for hundreds of years and then causing like dissonance amongst communities right it was literally divide and conquer right at the same time like they have long left But this rhetoric still exists, and that's, like, a problem to me. Like, to be like, yo, this is our continent now. Yeah. And, like, they are gone. Yeah. We can't allow this to continue to happen. And when I see it in, like, kids from my generation Mm -hmm. that do it, I'm like, yo, that is whack. Because partition happened during the 40s. Like, if if my dad in that generation is going to, like, continue that narrative, like, so be it. They they lived during that era. But, like, for – like, if I see some, like, 20-something – Doing like that, you're from India, like I'm from Pakistan. I'm like, yo, that shit is mm. so whack to me. I don't, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't say the SH word. Yeah, you can. Oh, it's I can't. It's a podcast. You say oh, whatever you want. Oh, dope. Like yeah. that's whack to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's whack to me. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. And it's like, when, where do we break the, the cycle? We can keep carrying on the same nonsense yeah. that we were taught. Or we yeah. can just be like, this is fucking stupid. And everyone's miserable because of these things that we keep perpetuating them. And yeah, yeah there's, there's craziness to it. How old is your dad now? My dad is 66. Um, I feel like I know him because I went and saw your show yeah. and you were talking about – I don't want to give anything away. No, here. we could talk about it. Okay. But yeah. you're, you're talking about your relationship with your dad throughout your life yeah. and he had a heart attack. Yeah. And that really – That like changed our relationship right. like big time. Because you said I, – if I remember cor- correctly, I saw this months ago, but you said something to the effect of like – you realize you didn't really know your dad. Yeah. And I feel that with my parents, too, because I think of them as, like, parents first and then people. Uh Uh-huh. And so I'm like, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know this, like, favorite thing that my dad does for whatever. And I'm like, but I know that about, like, my best friend. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I I remember that so so vividly. Like, Like, people would be like, my dad's favorite team is the Dodgers. I'm like, how do you even know that? Yeah. Like, cause I, well, cause you know, I'm like a child of immigrants. So like to them, survival is like such a big part of like, you came to America and you're just like, I am going to give my children the opportunity of a lifetime. And so to them, it's not taking that opportunity for granted. So like my dad just like cut out all the, that noise, which is why like going to the movies or like dating and all that stuff was like a big problem. And so because of that, I, I kind of lived this dual narrative and that's not good. Yeah. Because all these other sides of me, comedy and love and stuff, just had to exist in this other compartment. And it wasn't until, yeah, like, he pretty much, like, almost died. Um, and I had to, like, just stay with him. And we had no choice but to, like, sit and talk with each other uh, that I got to I got to know him better. And then as I got older and then I got married, 
Um, I like learn to appreciate things that he did. Mm-hmm. And you got to sometimes grade your parents on a curve, given their circumstances and the things that they faced, what they've given you and what that means. I, I was like, man, I, pre- I pretty much have a Hall of Fame dad. Yeah. It's just hard to see your parents as people. Like I said earlier, it's just really hard to do yeah, that. There's like, there's like these two intangibles that I think kind of get diet Pepsi'd as you go on from mm-hmm. generation to generation. You get like the lower calorie version. It's like hustle and heart. And I like I noticed that like my parents have that for like days. Yeah. And there's just like this big sort of generational difference. And like I, my my wife, we, we want to have kids. And I'm like, I, you can't teach those two things. Like, yeah. How do you teach like people to like have heart and to have like grit and determination? It's hard. It's like either you like have it or you don't. Yeah. I don't I don't know how. I don't know. I think you guys would be OK. For real? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I want to go back because you mentioned your one man show, but we like didn't dig into it. So oh yeah, let's dig into it. Yeah. Homecoming King, right? It's phenomenal, and you you're back on the road with it now. We're correct? touring it around the so it's going to 32 cities, and I'm going to like super white cities too. Oh, okay. yeah, like okay. I want to bring it there. Mm-hmm. Um, given the, and I'm sure you feel this as a creative. It's just like people ask you all the time. They'll be like, "How do you feel about the representation of blah, 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 and blah, right. blah blah blah?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't feel like it's like great." But if I don't take the reins of, like, our narrative, then that's on me. It's like I'm a, I'm a grown man now. Like, I, I can't blame this on other people. Like, I don't like Homeland. Like, why does every show think, like, brown people are going to come and murder your right. daughters? Like, well, that's – that's. <laughs> yeah. but then if you look who it's written and created by, I'm like, oh, this is, like, a interesting story to them. And they just want to tell an inter- interesting story. Maybe I happen to be the prop in the villain in that story. Yeah. But I got to, I got to write this on my own terms and say, this is what new Brown America really feels like. This is what so many Brown, black and kids of color are going through growing up in America today. And I wanted to ground that. I had never talked about this like love story, but like the, the first girl I fell in love with, um, and why we couldn't like be together. And it had to do with like racism and her parents didn't let us go to, dance because like uh they were going to take a lot of photos that night and they they thought it wouldn't be a good fit right and obviously like i've moved on from that and like i I, you know i'm an adult and i'm living my life now but what i thought was really interesting and timeless about it is given the state of our country right if is something as innocuous as a brown boy going to a dance with a white girl isn't allowed man like in 2016 in the wake of Orlando and San Bernardino, do you think if there's a Hassan Minaj in any town in America, he can go to the dance again with a girl? Yeah. I, I think that question is still as relevant and palpable. We're like navigating that nuance. Yeah. Of like, hey, I'm cool with you, but not in my backyard. Or like, hey, I think you're really talented, but I just don't think you would be the right fit for this job. Right. You don't have the right lo- – like that's the fight that I think our generation is fighting. Um. And and pushing through that and still achieving what we want and, like, love and life in our careers. Like, to me, that's the American dream. That's, like, what we're trying to fight for. And that's really just sort of the, the point of the show. I, I think it was so great. And it was just nice to – I don't know. It was just nice to see just someone who looks like you and okay. who has had the success that you've had. And to talk about these things, it reminded me, I'm like, yeah, that stuff is still going on. Like, yeah. it, it's not – figured out or resolved because we have 
a president who looks like Barack Obama or because, like, yeah. there are more of us. Like, in, yo, it, it you went, know what I mean? Yeah, just to put it in perspective, like, this like this girl that I fell in love with and I snuck out of the house and tried to go to prom with her and then her parents wouldn't let, let me. Like, it happened when the Black Album came out. And wait, where did you grow up? I grew up in Davis. Okay. So it's like, it's like oh, you, you remember Jay-Z's The Black Album? Like, yeah. That's when it happened. Like, it's this, this wasn't like in, you know what I mean? Like 40 years ago. And so like, those are sort of like themes that I try to like sort of talk about in the show and stuff. Yeah. I also yeah. like in the show, uh, there's a, there seems like a, a hip hop sort of vibe to yeah, it yeah, that yeah. I, I really like. And, uh, and just hearing the way you talk about like growing up, like loving basketball and loving hip hop and loving, you know, Chris Rock and all these people being yeah. a, a huge influence. Like, it's just really cool. Um, that you were able to, uh, I think a lot of times people think even within like different people of color, like I can't, I can't identify with anyone who's Muslim and you can't identify with anyone who's like Latino. So I think, why, why is that? Because I think people think, well, there are, there are black things and there are, there are Asian things and there are white things and they're, they don't overlap. And it's like, well, this is art, art is colorless and genderless and sexual orientation like none of that matters like you just like what you like and so but like like, hip-hop as a medium is such an immigrant's medium yeah it's like straight up immigrant talk like i've come here you've said i'm nothing the system is against me but i'm gonna get it regardless how is that not like i'm like every brown kid this speaks to every brown kid in america like period but like I, i saw chris rock in college a friend of mine was like watching chris rock and i saw it was just never scared and i was watching it and i did speech and debate in high school and i was like oh like comedy is just funny speech and debate Oh, like it like it was crazy to me like i was like oh that's what this is like this is odd like that's the way you should we should do speech and debate it should be like you should try to make the other side's argument look stupid like laughably stupid right um and that aspect of it like unlocked something in my brain and then as i got sort of deeper into comedy and like i could see how like people use just laughter as a bigger way to talk about like bigger things like that to me became really dope that's why like i really got excited about doing a one-man show and i want to continue doing that because it doesn't always have to be funny i think that's the thing great thing about podcasts too it can be like a a longer sort of arc and it can still be really like meaningful and it can have all these like different tastes and flavors and textures to it i still feel like there's a there's a source of positivity and confidence that comes in your comedy and you're not going like look how everything is shit you're like trying to i feel like you're trying to build up yeah rather like, than I'm trying break to, down, like you know i i think of it as like i'm an angry optimist mm, like mm-hmm. i um i'm not ups- i'm upset with the state of the country the way certain people americans are treated especially black americans i've become to realize like even my privilege being a indian muslim in this country I'm like, this is straight up unfair that like this community has built this country for over 300 plus years. One of the greatest social experiments in modern civilization, America, and they're still being treated like this. This makes me genuinely upset. And the fact that other uh, sometimes other minority groups don't stand in solidarity, that makes me upset. At the same time, I'm optimistic because brown America wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for black America. Like, New Brown America is only possible because of black America. I am 100% aware of that, and I'm starting to see more people become aware of that. And I do think there's, like, a tremendous amount of growth and opportunity for change. Yo, I love America. 
I'll tell you how much I love America. Like my family left everything behind to come here and add to this country. Like my mom works at the Mather Air Force Base, has been helping veterans for the past 20 plus years. That's how much she loves America, right? But at the same time, I'm willing to say, hey, we came here for a reason and we just want America to be as dope as its advertising is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fair. It's just like when your parents are tough on you and you're like, they're only tough on you because they know you can do better. Yeah. And they know you know you can do better. So yeah. they're like, hey, fucking get on it. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people go, oh, well, you just hate America. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't hate America. I love it the most because I'm asking it to do better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that is a sign of love, not just letting someone just do whatever the hell they want and go, well, yeah, that was shitty. Yeah. Oh, well. So like when people are just like, you're part of it, it's just like, Really, America? Like, we're going to let Donald Trump be the end of this run that we're having? When it's like, make America great again? It's like, it would n- no. It was not. Exactly. Great in the way that you think it was? Exactly. It's, it, it's a continuing, <laughs> evolving yeah. social experiment. Yeah. That's what I think makes America great. Because we did this piece on The Daily Show where we interviewed people like, when was America great? When was America last great? For me, I would say the turning point for our country was 1913. When we passed the 17th Amendment. And what's so, like, back when, like, women couldn't vote? Yeah, nights, well, back up, but again, let's like that go was, back. Like, that's kind of your sweet spot right there. What year was America great? When it was founded. Except for the slavery stuff. Except for the slavery stuff, you know? Like, like they say, uh, you, 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 nobody uh, made it to the top without breaking a few pieces of China. That wasn't an insult, by the way. I saw that. Yeah, that was people fantastic. were like, the 80s. It's like, oh, you mean during the crack epidemic. Like, no matter what time it was, there was always something that was, like, ugly or bad. But what's cool is, like, oh, that was a bad thing. And then women's suffrage. There was always a amendment to mm-hmm. that bad thing. That's what's really cool. Uh, it, it, like, it got better. When the, uh, the rise of Donald Trump and if he wins, it's like, oh, no – this could be the beginning of our Wikipedia entry where it says, like, the downfall and demise. You know how, like, when yeah. you look at, like, the Chinese civilization, Indian yeah. civilization, like, there's always, like, oh, the Mughal Empire. And then they'll show all the different kings. And then, like, right around this king, you're like, oh, shit went bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so true. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't want that. You don't want that. <laughs> no. You don't. Like, yeah. I'm telling you this as an immigrant, like, Starbucks is so dope. Wi-Fi, freeways, air conditioning, all this amazing stuff. Like safety, security, free speech. We take it for granted. Take it for we granted. Take it so for granted. Whew. All right, let's let's end this on a on a uplifting word. So, okay, you you're you married, you wanna have kids. Yeah. What kind of dad do you think you'll be? Because you learned a lot from your dad and your right. relationship with your dad. What do you think you can take from that when you become a father? The way, like, my dad was, I want to treat it like biryani. Like, biryani is, like, our gumbo. But there's, like, good parts of it and, like, there's bad parts of it. Like, sometimes, like, there's, like, gross stuff. Like, there's sometimes people with, like, cashews and, like, weird nuts in your biryani. And you're like, uh, you put that to the side. Yeah. So I want to, like, keep all the good stuff that my dad taught me but then, like, move the other stuff to the side. I think the cool things that I, I definitely want to do is, like, I didn't get any popular culture. Like, our narrative started at, like, 85. So everything yeah. pre-Michael Jackson, I don't know anything about – like, I don't know anything about the Beatles. I don't know anything about, like, Miles Davis. I had to learn all that stuff mm, mm-hmm. from, like, in college, from other friends. Um, 
and I'm just going to be like, oh, here, it's like right here. Yeah. Like I'm going to give you curated, dope, amazing culture. And also you're a part of the culture. Yeah. Like you're working on The Daily Show and also oh, Homecoming kinda... King. Like you're a part of that. And they're going to be little brown kids looking at your work. Yeah. Growing up and seeing that. And I think you should remember I want them that. To, I want them to have like, just the one thing I want, I want them to have, like, I don't want them to like struggle with like the the doubt and like lack of self-worth that I struggle with growing up. It's really hard. You know what I mean? It's like really I hard. want them to have the audacity of like Zayn Malik. I want them to be like, yeah, I could be like, I <laughs> yeah. could be the hottest person in One Direction. Like the yeah. thing that made me super depressed, right, was um, the like Obama becoming president was one of the most monumental things of like our generation. What made me sad was that he had to be like, hey, I'm not a Muslim. Mm. Like to me, mm-hmm. what bothered me about that is like, why does that matter? Yeah. It's actually like the the country that I'm fighting for for my children is that my son could be named Barack Hussein Obama and he could say I'm a Muslim and it still wouldn't matter. Ooh. He could still be president and that doesn't matter. That actually makes him American. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Hopefully that changes for my kids. Yes. Oh, my God. There's one standing ovation in Damn. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for for stopping in and chat with us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Hassan. Bye. Oh, my God. That interview, Joni, was like the reason why this show exists. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, ugh, I can't even. I'm done. I'm done. It was so good. I can't even deal right now. I'm Phoebe. That's Joanna. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Look at that. That was a sexy goodbye. Let me be sexy. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) I sound like a creep. Okay. Get out of here. I'll see you guys next week. So many white guys. I'm Phoebe Robinson. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Time for credits. So many white guys team includes Daisy Rosario, Rachel Neal, Joanna Salataroff, James Ramsey, Paula Schumann, Jim Poyant, Alex Overington, Joe Plord, Dara Hirsch, and Shanoa Estrada. Our theme music was sung by a bunch of white dudes. Alana Glazer is our executive producer. Hey, hey, listen. All season long, I've been getting these hilarious tweets about how much you love our theme song, and I love it so much, too. So I asked a few Fancy Pants composers here at WNY to the C to take a break from listening to Beethoven or Mozart or, like, fucking Dido or whatever and make a remix of the So Many White Guys theme song. A classic in its own right. Also, Dido is, like, kind of amazing. She did the theme song to Roswell, so no shade. Anyway, I'm going to play you guys each one of these remix songs over the next few episodes, and I want you to help me pick the winner. That's you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening to me right now. The remix with the most votes will be our official theme music for our Token White Guy episode. (gasps) So go to so many slash vote to hear them all now and pick your fave. Here's a little titillation for you. And I'm talking about my tits. No, I'm talking about the music. 
Hey guys, I know you just enjoyed a fantastic episode and you want to get on with your life.gov, but hold up one second. I have a special live appearance that I want to promo. So this Friday, August 26th at 8 p.m. in Brooklyn, New York, I'm going to be at Littlefield, which is in Gowanus, off the R train. I'm going to be a part of the Brooklyn Comedy Festival, which is amazing. And I'm um, doing this super fun show, which I think some of you guys know about. It was a web series that I did for Refinery29 called Woke Bay, in which you just talk about like hot dudes who are also doing good things for the world. Well, guess what, y'all? I'm doing a live version of that show with my girl, Michelle Buteau, who you have seen on Key and & Peele, and was also a season one alum on Two Dope Queens. So... Get your tickets. They're available now at littlefieldnyc.com. They're 10 bucks. Just do it. You'll get to see my face in person. You'll get to see my butt in person. You'll get to see my ankles. They're very petite. You don't want to miss that. This show is going to be so fun, and we're going to have special guests. It's going to be great. It'll be me and Michelle, like just a lot of brown energy. We want you there. Help us pack out the place. Get your ticks now. Love you, mean it. YQYE.